This past week, I posted something on Facebook that drew some comments. I said, and I just posted this picture that says, any church that allows a gay marriage to be held under its roof isn't a house of God. Well, I got several responses to that, as you can imagine. Responses came from people that uh, I like, people that uh, uh, I really uh, admire in different ways. And one of them is a, a conservative lesbian transvestite. Uh, but this person, they know what they believe and they stick to it. And I like this person because, you know, the thing is, this person is not wishy-washy and uh, they're going to tell it like they see it. And this person took issue with me on that, but we talked through it and uh, we came out on the other side agreeing that we liked each other and that uh, we could uh, agree to disagree and move on in life as friends. And, uh, but another thing came out of that, and that was a person that used to attend church in another place that I served. They wrote to me and voiced their concern about the Old Testament law and how the Old Testament law should be looked at today. And that got me thinking. This is one of those things that People just don't ever really think about, or if they have, they've just taken things they've heard and not really noticed that this is all God's Word. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, is the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it all goes together and how uh, the Old Testament there's not a God of the Old Testament who is wrathful and vengeful and uh, all that sort of stuff and who just looks down waiting for you to slip up and may even uh, stick a banana peel in front of you to cause you to slip up. That's not the God of the Old Testament. But people want to say that the God of the Old Testament is one way and the God of the New Testament is loving and kind and wouldn't hurt a fly. Those people must not have read the book of Revelation. Uh, they must, if you look on both ends, if you look at the Bible, you will see in its entirety, yes, God loves people. God wants people. He doesn't want a one of us to perish. He wants us all to come into his kingdom. He wants us all at that great banqueting table at the end of the age when we sit down at the marriage feast of the Lamb. He doesn't want to lose a one of us. He loves us, but he is holy. And the Old Testament reveals a lot about how God looks on these things. And so uh, one of the things that the Old Testament gives us is history. It gives us all sorts of history. You know, people have said, if you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat its mistakes. And then someone else has added to that. And those who do learn from history 
just have to sit on the sidelines and shake their heads as those that refuse to learn from history keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Well, the Old Testament gives us a lot of foundation to draw on. A lot of things uh, it reveals. And one of the things is it's a history. And it tells us a lot about where we came from. It tells us where Jesus came from. It, uh, and it tells us all about Jesus. In fact, this was the, the Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus. It was the Bible of the disciples. And, when, and so we can use it uh, as a commentary on the New Testament. And the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to recognize that it is a, a book that's uh, made up of different books, but there is a continuum from the very beginning to the very end. It's all one story. It's his story. And so, uh, yes, there's some things that changed in the New Testament. Jesus came along. But it's the Jesus that was starting to be pointed to in the book of Genesis. And as we go all the way through Scripture, we see it all pointing to Jesus. In fact, Jesus wound up saying to the scripture, to the spiritual leaders of his day, you search the scriptures and in them you think you find life, but they point to me. And so the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus spent a lot of time going over the Old Testament scriptures with his disciples, showing them how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem. He was going to have to die on the cross. And that the third day, he would rise again. And he explained why. Well, that's one thing. There's a history there. But then there's some other things. Uh, you know, there's some people that they just, uh, they want to cherry pick. Some people say, other people call it taking the supermarket approach. They want to pick and choose which parts of the Bible they want to believe and leave out the rest. Well, uh, instead of grasping this book and trying to find things in it that uh, you like and things the way you want things to be, what you really need to do is let the book grasp you. There's a big difference. Instead of you grasping the book, going to it, some people, I think they just think it's a foundation to argue from. They just like to argue and have debates. And so they love to study scripture just so they can find what they consider discrepancies or something like that and just argue instead of really looking at it as God's word. It's God's word to you. It's God's word to me. And uh, if we're endeavoring to live a life pleasing to him and uh, we have repented of our sin, and where did we even learn what sin was? From the Bible. You know, uh, it's, you've got to take it all together. If we have appropriated the death of Jesus on the cross as payment in full for our transgressions, and Jesus is now our Lord, 
The first place we should look to find out how to live a life that pleases him is the Bible. I read this past week, somebody said, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. And that is so true. And the thing is, I think you can apply that to the whole Bible. And in fact, by saying the gospel, you're talking about the whole Bible, really, because it all helps us to understand who God is, who we are, and how we should relate to him. So how should we approach the Old Testament? How does it apply at all today? That was one of the first dilemmas that the disciples were facing. Have you noticed that in the passage we read today in Acts, the 15th chapter, the uh, uh, 22nd through the 29th verses? There was a great problem coming up. There were those that had been Pharisees that became Christians and followers of Jesus. And they were insisting that all Christian converts needed to follow the whole of the law. And then there were others that disagreed. And so they came to the disciples, the disciples, the apostles, got together. They prayerfully considered this. They asked for the Holy Spirit's guidance. And so they went ahead and they gave us an answer as to whether Gentiles like you and me should follow the law of the Old Testament. And that's whenever they wrote this letter. And he says, uh, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Now listen to these essentials. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such, from such things, you will do well. Keep yourself free from fornication. What is the big thing that just goes on all over our country today? I mean, the big push is toward sexual immorality. Let's face it. The one thing, it's almost, you see, like the Garden of Eden. And this is just it. The Old Testament gives us types and shadows things we can learn from that apply to today. In the Old Testament, there was a tree put there in the garden. Actually, there were two trees, the tree of, the, uh, uh, of, the, of, the, of life. They could eat to any time they wanted to. But that's not the tree that drew their attention. The other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one, that's the one that God said, don't eat from that tree. And so which one did they just insist and wind up eating from? Satan was able to get Eve to take a bite out of it. And then she was able to take, uh, take it to Adam. And Adam took a bite and the fall began. Told to abstain from one thing in the entire world. Just keep avoid this and everything will be fine, Adam and Eve. And so now then the apostles and the Holy Spirit are telling the Gentiles, there's one major thing that you shouldn't do, and that's be involved in sexual immorality. 
And so what is the thing that everybody is getting involved in today, it seems like? My goodness, look at the, uh, at the news headlines this past week. I don't even want to talk about the stuff, but anyway, every week you see something going on and it causes great conflict in God's church <coughs> because there are those who are wanting to say that sexual immorality is just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And yet, here the apostles have said the one thing that you shouldn't be involved in is sexual immorality. Now then, where do you find out what that is? That's, uh, that's the thing. So we see from this, the Gentile Christians are exempt from the Jewish ceremonial laws, such as mixed fabric, how we cut our beards, whether we have to have a beard or not, and from the dietary laws. Praise God for that. <laughs> just, just think, could you even stay in business, Barbara, if you couldn't serve? Just think of all the, have you ever thought about that? Chicken fried steak with cream style gravy. One of your most wonderful things that you have in your restaurant there. Oh man, it's great. But see, that's not kosher. Uh, you couldn't, Jews can't have that. If you're under, living under the dietary law, you can't have chicken fried steak and cream style gravy. Fried shrimp. Yours are great. Just a, I was just thinking this morning, Cajuns could hardly live. I mean, I don't think that alligators are on the uh, exempted list or on the clean list either. Nor snapping turtles, you know, None of the good stuff is on the list, you know. It's just, I mean, I guess if you're just caging, all you have to eat is beignets or something, and hush puppies or something, you know. But the thing is, I am so glad that we're not under the dietary laws. But uh, because those were for a reason. They were to the, the different laws, the, what they call the sundry laws and the dietary laws, they were also a shadow and a type because, you see, they had to maintain this separation from the world. People hated them because they were different. They were God's people. And it was because of their observing outwardly these laws that they wound up being looked on as people that thought they were better than everybody else and all sorts of other things. And they wound up going through tremendous persecution and tremendous pressure to give in when it came to these things. The type and the, and the, and the shadow that we see is that God's people should stand out from the people around them. We are called to be his people not to just blend in with the world. And that's one of the lessons that we learned from the Old Testament because we are a holy people made holy by God. We are people who have been called out of and from the world. Going along with the most current fad is never going to be the way to maintain the Christian faith. We have a different place to look for how we're going to live. Not everything that comes and goes as a fad is wrong, but 
We just can't go with the push that the world is in today as we get closer and closer to the last days and it's said that more and more people are going to fall away. So, we don't have to worry about eating chicken fried steak and cream gravy, shrimp, oysters, lobster. We don't have to worry about that. We can enjoy those things. But it does help us. The Old Testament helps us to understand what is important to God and to begin to understand God. Because it tells us, it makes it clear the things that please God and the things that don't please God. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament often in making his points. And also understanding uh, the Old Testament illuminates things that we are told to do and not to do in the New Testament. If you love someone, the most important thing to do is to try to understand what pleases that person if you really love God, you're going to want to know him and please him. You know, I said a while ago that the Jews wound up by having these different laws. They were external laws. And some people, and this is one of the things that Jesus had to, had to work on quite a bit with the Jewish people, is that those external trappings, the evidence of them was supposed to be evidencing something that was in their heart. And yet many of them, they got to the point to where their hearts were hard, but they kept the external laws. This reminds me kind of a little boy that was in church one Sunday, and he kept standing up when he wasn't supposed to be standing up. And his mom telling him, sit down, Junior. He'd sit down. Next thing you know, he was standing up again. And finally, his mom had to say, Junior, you sit down, and if you get up again, I'm going to take you outside and I'm going to wear you out. And so he sat there and finally he said to his mom, he says, Mama, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> and that's the way a lot of the people that Jesus came across were. They were doing the right thing externally, but they weren't doing the right thing internally. And so there were a lot of things that they did externally that wound up being wrong as well. As I said, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible uh, that we'll find. And that being the case, when we want to understand what uh, the disciples were talking about when they said that we needed to abstain from fornication or sexual immorality, the place we have to look is the Old Testament because that was the context that they were speaking from. When the apostles uh, were talking about that, they were speaking of the things that they had grown up in. And the definitions of fornication, of sexual immorality, were laid out for them in the 18th, 19th, and 20th chapters of Leviticus, and the 22nd and 27th chapters of Deuteronomy. And that's where we get our context for what the disciples were talking about and what the Holy Spirit was trying to get across to us whenever they said we needed to abstain from fornication. As we look in those chapters, we see 
that the things that are included in there are bestiality, incest, adultery, premarital sex, rape, homosexuality, and lesbianism. And with that foundation, we find that all the New Testament prohibitions and warnings are pretty clear as to what they mean. There's no nebulousness. There's no uh, uh, gray area. It's crystal clear. Jesus, uh, as I said, he uh, talked about the Old Testament a lot and he lifted parts of it out as things that we still ought to consider. The Ten Commandments. Whenever the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do? What must I do? What action should I take in order to have eternal life? You remember what Jesus said? He said, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth up. I love it that it says that Jesus looked on him and he loved him. But then he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess distributed to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And what happened then? The young man turned away and sorrowfully walked away. Jesus told him the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is painful. But Jesus did say, nah, I didn't mean it. You know, so I'll come on back, man. He didn't do that, did he? He just watched him go. He gave the young man the information he needed, and then he respected him enough to let him go his own way. That's something that I'm learning over and over again with my own kids. They're grown now. All I can do is give them information and then respect the decisions that they make instead of trying to make them into somebody else. So, uh, but anyway, this is what Jesus did. Now, there's the rest of that story I'll share with you sometime about who it appears this young man was, but that'll be for another time. We also see Jesus making it very clear that we should all embrace the two major commands of the Old Testament found in Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which were combined uh, by the uh, uh, early uh, Jews into what they called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. And he says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the great command, foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Old Testament stuff. That's not New Testament stuff. And Jesus says, these are the two major things you need to be doing. And they're from the Old Testament. Do you see? The Old Testament is not something you just cast aside. He says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Also, he lays out that the moral law of the Old Testament is about relationships and should be observed much more deeply than just embracing some prohibitions. If you look at, we spent a lot of time on the Sermon on the Mount, and we saw how it related back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament shows us that there are certain things that God simply loathes. It's not a matter of law, 
And it's not the matter that God has now changed his mind about these things. There's some things he just cannot stand. And uh, if you love him, you're going to want to know those things. If you're wanting to please him, you're going to want to know these things. And you're not going to know them if you steer clear of the Old Testament. Well, of course, they're covered in different ways in the New Testament, but they're corroborated in the Old Testament. One of them is Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And that's where it says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Sometimes that's translated a proud look. Being snooty. Let's just face it. He didn't like people being snooty. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And listen to this. And one who spreads strife among brothers. It's made clear in both the Old and New Testaments that drunkards, murderers, liars, and other types of sinners are not going to make it into heaven unless they repent. And so the Old Testament confirms the New Testament and vice versa. And that being said, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God doesn't want anyone to miss heaven. And he's putting off his return to give us all the opportunity to come to repentance and to spend eternity with him. One particular passage that brings it all together is in 2 Peter, where you see Peter, who had lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, learned from Jesus, and he's talking to uh, Christians in that day, and he's talking to us today. He says, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, uh, uh, and by, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, you see, we're listening to something in the New Testament that is based, first of all, on things from the Old Testament and looking forward to things to come. You see, it's all one. It's all together. And Peter saw it all as one thing. It has to all be taken in context. So uh, we go on. Care for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you. Listen to this. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come 
to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's in Second Peter, yeah, Second Peter, the third chapter, verses three through thirteen. I'm just going to wrap all this up by saying that the Bible must be taken in context as a whole. You've got to look at it in its entirety. You don't take one part and say this is one God, this is another. Same God revealing Himself, making Himself known. And if we love Him, we'll want to listen to Him instead of waiting for him to get quiet so we can say what we want to say. The Bible is not something we pick and choose from to satisfy our wants, but something to guide us along with the Holy Spirit into all truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Forgive us when we have tried to just uh, pick and choose from your word and ignored what you said in order to say what we want to say. Help us, O oh Lord, to be, just as John Wesley told us we should be, a people of the book, and that book being the Bible. Help us to embrace your word just as we embrace you so that we can know your will and that your will will be done through us. In Jesus' name, amen.